This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com forward slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com forward slash B-E. Welcome back, everybody. You are listening once again to the Authority Podcast on the B Podcast Network. I am Ross Romano, and my guest today is veteran school administrator, educational consultant, and executive coach Pete Hall. You may be familiar with some of Pete's previous books published by ASCD. He has books such as Creating a Culture of Reflective Practice, which is co-authored with Elisa Simmerall, and Fostering Resilient Learners, co-authored with Kristen Sowers. And today, um, we're going to talk about Pete's latest book, which is called Always Strive to Be a Better You. And this is published by Authors Place Press. And this book is really in that leader leadership, um, personal development category that uh, is broadly about all of the various strategies and and learnings that we may use in our lives to uh, just kind of improve and, and to achieve the kind of life that we want. So I think, uh, listeners, you're going to get a lot of interesting ideas out of this. So Pete, welcome into the show. Hey, thanks, Ross. I appreciate that. I'm happy to be here and always, always enjoy an opportunity to chat with you no matter what we're talking about. Well, I think I think we're going to have a lot of fun here. And uh, even though, um, you know, we do know each other, my first question to you is going to be, who is Pete Hall? <laughs> and the reason being uh, that this is kind of part of the introduction of the book, right? You have seven individuals that you've gotten to know in your life that are profiled and um, you kind of share learnings from their successes throughout the book. And, and you know, one of the people that you introduce is yourself. Um, so, Tell the listeners about yourself and, and in particular in relationship to this book and why you wanted to take this on, because it's a different type of book than the ones you've written before. Um, it's a lot more encompassing <laughs> and it's, you know, I, I, I can imagine that it was quite an endeavor. Um, so just kind of give us an introduction to how you, you came to this. I love that you say quite an endeavor. Because that, my friend, is a significant understatement. This is a this is a <laughs> massive project, and it uh, you hear often about people talking about how they do something that's a labor of love. And seriously, this this to me has been the labor of love, and I consider this book to be my legacy project. This is the thing that, more than anything else, I think, kind of just encapsulates 
who I am as a human being and what I'd like to convey to the the world and its inhabitants. So to answer your question, who is Pete Hall? Uh, I do believe I'm just a regular guy. I'm a, I'm a regular guy that through my experiences, I have been fortunate enough to connect with some extraordinary human beings that when you peel back the layers of their extraordinary lives, they're just regular people. Mm. They're just regular people doing, doing things um, in very particular, very specific ways that have led them to that extraordinary life. And so what I wanted to do in this project is unpack that. And we'll talk more about that uh, in the podcast. As far as my background is concerned, uh, you mentioned early that some of the your listeners, educators will know me through my education work. Uh, I was a teacher. I was a school principal. I've been speaking and coaching with schools and school districts and leadership teams for decades now. And um, the one overarching common thread through all my work has been a desire to help other people live a slightly better life. And um, I have I have kind of embraced that philosophy over the course of my life, and I try to share it with others. And um, more than anything else, I kind of consider myself a capacity builder. So it's kind of funny. Um, I've I've had people ask me that question before, and I I think a lot about every interaction I have with another person. I really do try to think about how can I make this person's life somehow better through the course of this interaction. So even, you know, a cashier at the grocery store, I try to bring a little sunshine in that person's life. I try to help them, you know, smile, think differently about something. So just those little interactions, I think are, are symptomatic or emblematic of an approach that I have to, to try to help. And so that's where this book comes in the pantheon of stuff that I've done is this idea of helping people to live a slightly better life. What do you think makes you good at synthesizing the lessons that you are able to lay out uh, in the book? And we'll get into more of this as we go. But um, for listeners sake, you know, understanding the organization of the book, there's four overall tenets and then a, a total of 13 key learnings that are organized in between those tenets. Um, uh, but the the people that you are profiling and, and kind of learning from as you write the book are not, you didn't go to them to interview them to say, teach me about leadership. Uh, at least one of them, if not more, is a lifelong friend. And there's other people that you met throughout various parts of your professional and personal life, right? And then in reflecting, um, we're able to think about what were the things about them that made them successful in, in whatever they were doing. So what, what do you think about you, you know, made you able to kind of see and pick up on and then sort of uh, learn from people whose, um, whose purpose was not to teach you. Right. Right. Well, I think that there's, uh, there's lessons all around us all the time. That's part of it. And I think if, if we were to boil that question down to its most basic element, it's that um, I'm, I've been open to that. I've been open to those lessons. I've been open to um, the other, the experience of other people. And I've also been open to the idea that I always have room to grow. So the big umbrella idea, which is the title of the book, always strive to be a better you. That's been something that I go back, honestly, and I'm a, it's not a hoarder. I'm not a hoarder, Ross, Mm -hmm. but I keep track of stuff. And I've always been a journaler. And 
I actually went back and I looked through some a box of old crap from college. And in there was a note that I had written to myself that had the phrase, always strive to be a better you. And so it has been decades and decades that I have had this, this overarching theme be kind of a part of my life. And so the big ideas kind of presented themselves to me because I was open to them. I was open to learning. I was open to listening. If you're familiar with my work in education, a lot of it has been based on the art of self-reflection and the ability to truly reflect. And that's how we get better at something is by truly allocating our mind to something. So I then allocated my mind to, okay, so is there something here that's bigger than just me wanting to be a better person and live a slightly better life? Is there a way that I could categorize this and synthesize it and share it with others? So what, what I was able to do then is, like you said, through the course of my life, I met people, I knew people, I spent time with folks who live a similar philosophy. And I started to notice trends and themes in their behaviors, in their actions, in their reflections, in their behaviors, in their mindsets, and in their interactions with other people that I started taking some notes. And then I've always wanted to write this for this book is something I've had on my to-do list for a long time. And I, it took me a long time to figure out how I was going to write it. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to be, oh, I'm Pete. I know everything about how to live a better life. So I'm just going to tell you, I, I really wanted to share it through the lens of people who live this life also. And so I, I probably started with about three dozen names on my list and I whittled it down to these seven, these seven people who are regular, ordinary people, people with regular person DNA, just like you, just like me, nothing special about them, nothing that when they were born would indicate that they're going to amount to something extraordinary. And I, I then intentionally started like I did interview them and I did spend more time with them and I did talk to them and listen to them and take notes and, and tailored some of those conversations in specific directions that they were going in and was able to put some of their lessons together. It's been, it's just a fascinating project um, to answer the long answer to your question is I was open to it. I was open to the lessons. I was open to their, their personalities and their traits and was able to then sort them into those four tenets and then further sorted them into 13 big ideas that I think are really replicable and applicable to all our lives, no matter what we're doing, no matter what we want to do. With right. our lives. Yeah. And to that point, <clears throat> um, yeah, I know that for you and for each of us, right. But you and thinking about how this objective of continuing to, to try to live a, a better life and doing that incrementally, you've had particular goals that were the things that motivated you, but also that in writing this and, and understanding that it would be applicable to a whole range of people that you had other goals in mind, right? The, the potential range of goals that people might have, that might be the things that they would define as helping them live a slightly better life. What are some of those in general? I think that'll give our listeners an idea of saying, okay, there's a lot of books out there that are about one specific thing. Okay. If, if you want to live a better life, it means this. Right? Um, and which is totally fine if that is your goal. Uh, but in this case, it really is more about the reader, um, the individual defining their own goals and saying, okay, 
these are strategies that are going to help me move in the direction that I want to move in, what I consider to be a better life. So what are some of those range of different goals or those buckets that you had in mind when thinking about who the reader would be and what are the things that might motivate them? Yeah, well, the the thing about who the reader might be is really my intended audience for this book is human beings. <laughs> because I really do believe that no matter what you do, no matter what your what your role is, your job is, what your position is, what your status is, where you where you live and whatever it might be, there's always a step forward that we can take in well honestly in every element of our life. I don't think there's anything in our lives that we've maximized and said we can't get any better at this. So the goal really is like you said it's dependent on the the reader, it's on the individual. So I know some folks who want to get better at their relationships with their committed partners. I know folks who want to get a promotion at work, folks who want to be more efficient with their work day so that they spend less of their time there and they spend more time with family, folks who have financial goals, fitness goals. It really comes down to what is it that you want? What is it that you envision when you're staring yourself in the mirror and you're brushing your teeth and you're thinking, man, I wish my life were, or I wish I could, or I wish whatever that is. It's it's within reach. It's something that you can you can attain. It's something, and then there are strategies for that. So the the thing that I think sets this book apart and this work that I've been madly in love with for years now is that it's it's not about being the best at something. I mean, if your goal is to be the best at something, the strategies in here will help you get there. If your goal is to help get incrementally better at something. There are strategies in here that will help you. If you think, if, and you, if you were to go to Barnes and Noble or just scroll through Amazon or whatever and look at the self-help genre or the live a better life genre or whatever it might be, you'll find a lot of books written by the people who are the best or people who are profiling the best ever, right? And I have found that the majority of us don't aspire to be the greatest of all time. We're just not a bunch of baby goats here. We are people who want to live better, happier, more fulfilling lives that have a little bit better impact on the planet. And we want to know how to do that. So if you think about like masterclass, for instance, all the masterclasses are taught by the absolute A1 top folks. And that sets, I think, an unrealistic expectation for most of us. So this book really is about ordinary people, regular people that live incrementally better lives every day that have resulted in these extraordinary experiences and extraordinary positions. And I'm not talking about job positions. I'm talking about positions on the planet as human beings that are applicable for all of us. Yeah. How do you think most people are when it comes to their, their perspective on their goal setting or the, you know, the various layers of the actions that they take to get them toward their goal. And I'm thinking, I just saw actually something on Twitter today that kind of relates to this. And I'll give credit. It was shared by David Perel, who runs a, an online writing course called Rite of Passage. I don't know if this was his, it probably wasn't his original story, but he's who I saw it from. Um, but he wrote, there were two men that were laying bricks and somebody walked up to them and he asked the one guy, what are you doing? And then he said, I'm, I'm laying bricks. And he asked the other guy, what are you doing? And he said, I'm building a cathedral. 
right? So it's a different perspective on what your task is, what you're achieving and what you're working toward. Um, and I'm wondering, you have many different right layers as you work through the book and these learnings and these individual things. When most people come to this or they come to this objective of saying, I want to live a better life and I want to, I want to live a more financially, you know, secure life, or I want to have stronger relationships or whatever, are most people coming with a perspective on looking at kind of those incremental activities, or is that something that takes a lot of practice? Yeah, I think it does take practice and it takes intentionality, right? So if you think about the example that you just gave in that story, what I have found is that most people, even with the perspective that they shared, um, there's a, a troubling mindset that often comes with that. So the person who said, I'm laying bricks, uh, will say, I'm laying bricks and it's taking forever. I'll never get, I'll never, I don't know if I'm making any progress. Mm-hmm. The other person says, I'm building a cathedral, but it's taken forever. I don't know if I'll ever actually get there. And I, what we found is that a more effective mindset is to say, I want to build a cathedral. So I'm building this brick right now. I'm putting this brick in, laying this brick perfectly so that I can have this amazing cathedral in the end. And so you've got that long-term vision of the goal that you want to accomplish and what that what that's going to be and the understanding that this step right now is a really important step in getting to that place. And we have to be willing to open our minds to that reality that you can simultaneously have a long-term goal and you can have a, a current project. I don't usually use the brick metaphor. The one that I usually use is whitewater rafting. I don't know. You, you ever go whitewater rafting, Ross? I have not been. You haven't? Oh my God. Well, <laughs> Come out west. We have lots of whitewater rafting. So in a whitewater, what you know about whitewater rafting. Like I you, do. Yeah. You get in the river and you get in the raft and it takes you down all these rapids. And you know that when you get in the river, the goal is a couple miles down the river, there's a takeout point. And you want to get out of the river safely. And depending on how hot it is out there, you either want to be soaking wet or totally dry. Right. So you know that there's a long-term goal to that. There's a and at any given moment while you're in the river you're facing these rapids and you have to get through these rapids right now. Right. And you can't get in the boat and only think about the takeout point and not pay attention to the rapids or you'll get capsized. Mm-hmm. And if you get in there and you're only thinking about this rapid right now, you may not be in a position to effectively make it all the way to that takeout point when that time comes as well. So it really, it's a matter of keeping perspective on both, having that long-term vision clear in your head and understanding the incremental steps that it takes along the way to get there. Excellent. And so um, reminder, you know, listeners, so the title of the book is Always Strive to Be a Better You. And that's really what the book is about, right? It's about the striving. It's not about the, do these four steps and you will have achieved it. You will have, you have achieved and, and you use the the example, you know, potential as an asymptote um, in, in the book. And for, for those who are, can't visualize this right now, right. An asymptote is a line that, um, you know, as it ascends and reaches closer and closer to its goal, it, it, 
the potential expanse, right? The you'll see the curved line because it gets closer and closer and closer to the upper bound, but it never quite reaches it. Um, right. And in this case, you know, as we get better and better and better at what we do, our potential expands, and we we realize that there's never such thing as 100% having maximized your potential. Um, and and so that's about that consistent striving and that understanding of that we're not just talking about um, these tangible and um, exhaustible objectives, how to make a million dollars. Okay, once I've done that, I'm done, right? It's right. how to how to have that consistent striving. And, um, and I think that also is part of defining the benefit of what you've already described and what is the, the subtitle of the book, how ordinary people live extraordinary lives. Cause it's, it's about anybody can do it. Right? Yeah. Um, and, you yeah. know, and the people in the book certainly have achieved a lot. And I would say that they're probably, you know, they're, they're certainly above the median for what we would objectively define as success in life, but they're within reach. <laughs> they're not, you know, they're not people that are unrelatable or that we say, well, um, every, the reason they got there is, you know, they had some skill and they also had to have a lot of circumstances and luck and this and things that aren't really replicable. Um, and right. so why, I guess you've talked about this a little bit already, but I think it's worth revisiting to kind of say, why is that so important as I think a core concept of the book is that asymptotic relationship to potential, but just that thought of that it, it's about the striving. It's about the, you know, what did you do yesterday? What can you do today? What can you do tomorrow? Um, that it's that continuous process. Yeah. Well, I love using mathematical vocabulary. Mm -hmm. First of all, that's, that's one of the big ideas. <laughs> The other is, is just, I mean, if you think back to the word itself, strive, um, you know, we often hear, you know, you gotta, you gotta, if you, you gotta work harder, you know, you gotta put more effort into it. And really that's, that's not going to get you there. Just hard work's not going to get you there. The, the idea about trying to do something is one thing, working hard is something. Striving implies that there's a goal associated with it because you're striving towards something you're striving for something and you have clarity again of that goal of that outcome that you're that you're working to accomplish and so with strive there's always that idea that, that so now you've got a kind of a symbiotic relationship between this potential that you'll never meet and striving towards that which results in continuous improvement you're always getting just a little bit better as you as you continue this journey and the reason that we really kind of, I, I really wanted to use ordinary people is to make it relatable, right? Relatable for people that are in different fields, people that come from different backgrounds, uh, people that have different life experiences, because we've got such a wide, beautiful array of human beings in our society and our culture and our planet that I, I really wanted to make sure that uh, folks saw themselves somewhere in this book. So as you're reading the book, Everyone can relate with somebody and somebody's experiences and somebody's background and somebody's ambition, you know, that as you're reading through that, because often if you're reading a, 
a book, and I'm not putting any of these people down. If you're reading a book by Bill Gates, or you're reading, you know, Mahatma Gandhi, or you're reading, then you're you're seeing a a particular person, a single person's single person experience. And a lot of us can relate to a lot of those lessons, but not all of them. And I wanted to make sure that everybody saw themselves in this somehow. And you can connect and relate. And that's the feedback that I've been getting from readers is that they, and sometimes it's like, I really connected with this person in the story. So I profiled seven people and maybe I connected really well with this one person and this person's perspectives and this person's insights really spoke to me. And so that has driven me to take certain actions or to do certain things or to reflect a little bit differently on my situation. And that's that's exactly what we're trying to, to accomplish in this project is have people see themselves a little bit differently and see the, the potential and the opportunity before them. Yeah. And the reality is that starting from where you are now and laying out steps and strategies to get where you want to go is actually going to look a lot different than somebody who is, you know, where they want to be or where they are now and reflects back on how they got there. There, It's inevitable that, that there's we're an unreliable narrator um sometimes for like uber successful people um i call it retrofitting genius to their success right, right, right? because exactly. there's all these other factors that have to happen for you to get it doesn't mean that you didn't do anything right or smart or good but it just means that um you also weren't specifically following a plan to get there. There's a lot of things that happened along the way. And now I'm here and I've achieved this. And now I'm looking back and I'm, you know, I'm telling my side of the story, which is it, it makes it sound like anybody can do it, but realistically, not necessarily. And that's why it's so important to talk to people who are in the, and, and I do want to touch on some of these specific people, especially in this case, knowing that our audience is going to be composed primarily of educators a couple of the people that you highlight in the book are um, education leaders and and one being Andre Wicks, a school leader in Spokane, Washington, and, and another Tammy Campbell, who's a former superintendent also in Washington State. Um, for these people in particular, right, it will take a moment to stop on them and then we'll get into a lot more, um, but understanding that their positions and roles and, and how they likely got there and how they are continuing to set you know, higher and higher objectives for themselves are clearly going to be professionally relatable to a lot of our listeners. Um, what are some of the things that you learned from from these two? Yeah, well, it's it's interesting um, with educators because as we get into um, tenet two of the book, so the first tenet is know thyself. So there's an investigation of uh, what are you made of? What are you built of? Who are you? What kind of character do you have? What do you value? What's important to you? What are your goals? Who are the people you surround yourself with? That kind of thing. Um, when we get into tenet two, it's uh, work for love, right? So it's that connection of, are you doing something that you're passionate about? How do you know what that is? Um, and with educators, we kind of have a this built-in sense of uh, a value or a, a contribution that we're giving to others right? Because we're in a service-oriented profession as educators. And so uh, both Andre and Tammy have internalized that significantly. Um, and it's kind of fun to explore where that comes from in their lives, right? Because 
if we're going to be successful at our work, there has to be something about that work that calls to us or that we're calling to and that we're reaching for. We have to have some kind of uh, emotional connection to that work. And love does play a role in it. So how loving what we do or loving the impact that we have or, or loving something about us that allows this to be a strength of ours. So, you know, each one of those has, has brings particular uh, background to that. So for Andre, for instance, Andre is a committed servant leader. So he was, you know, with his, he had a certain background and then came into education, was teacher, administrator, now school principal, and has always been about servant leadership, about what he does is to serve others, is to help other people's journeys become enhanced somehow. And he found education as a vehicle for that. And his leadership has always been around servant leadership. And that's a, a core philosophical part of what makes him tick. And it obviously serves him really well in his professional role because it's not about him. It's not about his own progression and his own ambition. It's about what are the ways that I can put myself in a position to help more people. And right. when I'm interacting with people on a regular basis, how can I further their cause to impact other people? And Tammy, very similarly, um, comes from a position. And one of the coolest things I think that Tammy talks about, so she's a school superintendent, which if you know the structure of schools, you know, that's pretty far removed from students. <laughs> you know, the superintendent is typically not someone that interacts with students. Tammy in her superintendency has all, and in her professional, her entire professional career has always been about what is in the best interest of the kids. And a lot of educators use that as kind of a catchphrase, but she actually truly lives and breathes and will die on that mountain. What is in the best interest of kids? So even as a school superintendent, she has brought together panels of student advisors to sit in the school board meetings and from each of her high schools to provide insight and input about how the district makes decisions. And she does this little thing where when she's having a conversation with somebody, she always envisions that there's a student in her district sitting behind the shoulder of the person she's talking to, to kind of just to just keep her in line with is everything I'm saying, is everything I'm doing, is every decision I'm making aligned with what's in the best interest of that kid that's sitting there right now? And it's such a cool mental trick that she performs that she's made it habitual to make sure that she stays aligned with her focus. And so part of what we do in the book is explore, well, why is that? Why is servant leadership so important to Andre? Why is uh, being doing what's best for kids so powerful a driver in Tammy's life. And so it's it's neat to watch the evolution of their stories. At least it's neat for me to do. I don't know, you, you're, you're a reader. Right. As a, mm -hmm. um, it's neat to see the evolution of their stories as they kind of build upon their prior life experiences. And I do that on purpose so that the reader then can think about, okay, so what are my life experiences? And what are the things that I value as a human being? And what contribution do I want to make to the planet? And how can I, or do I find what it is about the work that I do that helps to facilitate that? Or is there another avenue in my life that I can make sure that that's happening, that my work then allows me to spend time doing? And those stories just weave through the entire book as a teaching structure for the reader to say, okay, uh, what does this mean for me? And how does this 
impact my ability to incrementally improve my life towards building that cathedral you're talking about. Right. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's no surprise to me that this, right. The second tenet of work for love came up in, um, in your response regarding the educators, because it's so consistently a part of anybody who gets into the education field that they are, there's a higher purpose and calling in mind than just, it's just a, a job. It's a job. I'm pretty good at it. And it, ultimately it's that feeling. And I've been doing a lot of work recently investigating the various causes and, and motivators around what draws people into the profession and what drives them out. And one of those big dividing points is once I no longer feel as though I can be successful or I can help my students to be successful, then I've lost my reason for being in the profession because it's a challenging, you know, environment. And if it's just a job to me, there's not really a lot of reason for me to withstand a lot of those challenges, right? right? The long hours, believe, the low pay, the challenging right. environment, the public But if I believe I'm <laughs> yeah. really making an impact, then it's worth it because I know that it matters that I'm there um, yeah. and the reason well, why I got into it. Yeah. So can I just think about this too, Ross, is it's, it's not just educators. And I know our primary audience mm -hmm. in this podcast is educators. Think about this though. Um, I'll think about, so um, my daughter-in-law is a pastry chef, mm -hmm. right? So she could just say, oh man, I need to make 12 cakes today and 600 cupcakes. And I got all this stuff I got to do. And she could get wrapped up in the job of these are the things I have to do. These are the boxes I need to tick. These are the, the tasks I need to complete. Or she could say, I have the opportunity today to make 600 people super happy by eating this delicious cupcake that, that may just give them these moments of joy and, and deliciousness. Right. And it's a matter of perspective of, of what we're actually looking to do. You think about a, an Uber driver, man, I gotta, I gotta get so many rides so I can make so much money. I gotta, I gotta go pick up this person, take them over there. I have to do this or man, I'm going to, I'm going to facilitate getting somebody from point A to point B in a really safe and economical and fun kind of way. So it's a matter of how we interpret that in our own heads and, and whether or not we can think, am I doing a service that makes that person feel good and makes me feel good about providing that service? Or am I just, like you said, am I just doing the job? Am I clocking in, clocking out? And I'm and there's always a way to look at the service we're providing to other people, no matter what our job is, no matter what we're doing. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And even another of the people that came to mind that you, that's featured in the book, um, Matthew Lillard, who's an actor in a profession that a lot of people would think about as being a, you know, a glamour profession, but for the 99% of people in that field, um, you know, the number of times you're auditioning, getting rejected, getting hired, getting fired before the thing even goes to air. All, you wouldn't put up with all of that unless there was something greater that you were aspiring to, um, unless you really valued 
the small pieces about what you were doing, unless you had intrinsic uh, evaluation of your ability. If you were just relying on everybody else to tell you whether or not you were any good, almost nobody in that field would think they were any good because you're certainly being rejected or fired much more often than you're being hired or criticized even once you do something there's a lot of criticism i mean there's a reason that the rotten tomatoes even exists right (laughs) because but you know place to share that criticism and yeah matt's one of our seven and matt is a he's a phenomenal human being um and there's nothing particularly noteworthy about him i mean you might think he's a good looking dude you know but he's a he's a which maybe helps in hollywood right but he's he's a normal guy who's worked his tail off to put himself into positions to be successful. And he's not a chasing the, the glamor and the fame type of guy. He's about creating experiences and creating products and that make people feel or allow people to feel right. Genuine emotions. That's, that's what drives him is the ability to connect people with their emotions and it was it was such a joy talking with him and working with him uh, in his his contributions to this project uh, because he is uh, different than what most of us think about the Hollywood establishment, and it's it's so refreshing and so cool to hear his perspective on how he's interested in helping and giving back to others and and creating. Um, whether he's directing or whether he's acting, just opportunities for folks to feel and connect with their emotions. And there's so much about fellowship and partnership and community that he he is driven by. Um, and that's the that's the beauty of this um, this project is each person comes with a different background, a different experience, different drivers, just like we all do. And so there are what I've tried to do, and I don't know if this is a question you're going to ask me in a minute or not, but what I've tried to do throughout the book is provide almost reflective opportunities. Well, it's not even almost, it's directly reflective opportunities where I pose reflective questions throughout the book. And at the end of each chapter that causes the reader to kind of go back and think about, well, who did you just read about? Who, who are you thinking about? And then how did these lessons, how does this idea relate to your life? And it's very intentionally specifically done to help the reader connect with these seven people and then to connect with themselves and their right. own passions, their own journeys, and their own yeah. goals. Yeah, absolutely. And so, well, let's go right into that. You connect with yourself. Right. So the four tenets, um, <clears throat> the four tenets, know thyself is number one. I think we referenced that. Work for love, let your light shine, and then rule the day. And I mentioned earlier, there's these 13 key learnings that are divided between these. Um, and so the first being to know thyself. And that's the one that... <laughs> If I would guess that if you were to tell people, I wrote a book about becoming a better you, and it's based around these four key ideas that a lot of people might guess that in general, this is one of the ideas. And, um, and yet, a lot of times it's like the hardest, right? It, it's the one that people struggle with the most or that they skip over. And say, okay, I it's I'm looking externally at the things that need to happen around me or the things I need to do, the actions I need to impose upon the world to create a better life for myself before starting with, well, who even am I? Uh, what am I good at? What am I not good at? 
um, one, you know, there's this idea of strengthening our core, right? That I, I, I've noticed a lot of people really struggle with the idea of saying, well, what am I really good at? And how do I do more of that? How do I get better and better at the thing I'm already good at? Why am I spending so much of my time worrying about shoring up some weakness instead of leveraging my strength? We obviously, we talk a lot about schools on this podcast and that idea has come up with respect to schools and the benefits and challenges of a comprehensive curriculum, right? And our well-rounded goals to say, okay, if I'm really good in math and science, I'm probably spending a lot more time on English <laughs> to try to get better at that because that's my weakness versus spending more time on the things where I'm really good to see how well I can do. So uh, I guess what I'll say is for this know thyself idea, what what do you think in your findings is the hardest thing about this, about, about people really committing to this and um, achieving some form of mastery around this tenet. Yeah. Well, you know, what was the expression you used? Um, inaccurate narrators of our own story. What was the, yeah. unreliable had, narrators, unreliable narrators. Yes. Unreliable narrators. Um, that's the biggest problem is we're unreliable narrators. We are, um, we are typically not really very good at understanding what are you talk about our our strengths and our weaknesses, we're not really good at even identifying what our strengths and our weaknesses are. Um, and we tend to define ourselves in certain ways as opposed to describing ourselves. And when we define ourselves, we put ourselves in a little box and we say, this is the way I am. Like, like what you said, I'm good at math or I'm not good at math. We put ourselves in one of those boxes, which really doesn't leave us the opportunity. If, if we put ourselves in the, I'm not good at math box, we don't really give ourselves the opportunity to ever get better at math and to ever learn it and be open to the possibility that maybe we could get better at math. We've, we just kind of put ourselves there and say, well, that's just how I am. I'm just, and you hear people say stuff like this all the time, like, oh, I'm terrible at parable, parallel parking, or, oh, I could never do that, or I don't have the patience for this. And when we define ourselves in terms like that, we, we limit our abilities to grow and to learn and to expand and to accomplish things. And so what we, what I found is that pretty typical of the seven people that I profile in the book is they leave themselves, they always leave themselves open to the possibility that they could do something. Mm -hmm. So I might not be good at this right now. If I were to allocate my mental energy towards it or my efforts, maybe I could get better at this in the future, or I haven't mastered this yet. You know, ideas like the growth mindset that we learned. So that's, that's one of the big ideas is just leaving ourselves open to the possibility. Mm -hmm. And the other is that uh, we don't have clean mirrors. So when we're asked to examine ourselves, what are we all about? What, what matters to us? Uh, we look at ourselves through <laughs> dirty lenses, right? Mm -hmm. um, and we inaccurately portray what our strengths and weaknesses are, um, what our tendencies are, what our habits are. We miss those. And so one of the activities that's provided in the book is then the first tenet of the book actually is called clean your mirror and really be able to look at yourselves through an objective lens to figure out what you really, what you're really like, what you're really made of and give yourself the possibility to then learn and grow 
moving forward. And that's where it all starts. And you mentioned strengthen your core. Uh, that speaks to, and I, I mentioned this just briefly earlier, that idea of what are your core values? What are the things that are most important to you? And so there's another activity that's built in there that allows you to kind of uh, separate and sort those core values that are most important to you from the ones that maybe aren't, that gives you that sense of, all right, so if these things are most important to me, and this is what I'm actually kind of like, then how am I positioned to strive towards my potential? What is my goal that I'm working towards? What is it that I really want to accomplish? And that's uh, that's essential for us to know ourselves before we can do that, because otherwise we're just taking steps in this vessel, this human vessel that we've got that we don't really understand. And so yeah. it's 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 really intentionally driven to allow folks to know themselves better before they really start embarking upon a, a journey of self-improvement, because you got to know where you're starting if you're going to take a step forward. Yeah, to pick just two possible causes of struggle with this, have, have you found that there's more tendency um, for for us to overestimate our strengths or <laughs> to underestimate our weaknesses? Um, you know, which would be almost is our our definition of ourselves based more on wishful thinking or based more on fear of honesty, fear of honest evaluation? Uh, my answer to that is yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. And it, and it, I mean, it depends on each individual person. So each reader uh, is going to pick this up and go through that. And on some things we're going to give ourselves a little more credit than, than maybe we deserve. Mm -hmm. And in others, we're going to be a little bit more harsh on ourselves than uh, we deserve. And I think it's important for us to really um, ask the questions, why and how do I know? Like what evidence is there to support the fact that this describes me or that this is important to me? And when we're able to do that, when we're truly able to dig in and, and look at ourselves through that objective lens, we can sort through. And, and there's usually a reason for that. And I, I don't want to play amateur psychologist too much, but there's usually a reason that we um, over overextend our own perception in certain ways and cut ourselves off on others. Uh, and usually it's because of what we value and what we desire in life, right? So we may look at ourselves in the mirror and if and if we're thinking, man, I, I wish I were fitter, I wish my body looked differently, we, we could do one of two things. We can look at our body with, um, you know, turn off one of the lights and so you kind of dimmed a little bit and flex our muscles a little bit and say, oh, that's not so bad. Or we can look at ourselves and notice all the flaws and all the things that we, that we wish were different and just hyper-focus on that. And it, it ends up, it's an individual journey and it, each of us, we can do that professionally, we can do that uh, physically, we can do that spiritually, we can do that uh, academically, we can, we can view ourselves through whichever lens we want. I strongly advocate, and this is what our, our seven subjects in the book tend to do, is to look at ourselves and continue to press themselves, well, what makes, you, what makes me think that? Why is that? And the more we ask ourselves that question, the more we get to the cause, the more we get to the root, which then sh shows us what our core values are. And, and if our goal is then to change something about that, then we know this is based on a core value. Now we've got a goal and we can start building that vision of that 
you know, that temple, that monastery. And then we can start laying the bricks that are going to help get us to that point. But if we don't know ourselves first, it's, we're going to have a devil of a time moving forward towards any goal that we'll set for ourselves. Right. And, and then, you know, and this also has the connection point to the next tenet work for love, because, well, there's also, there's knowing ourselves as far as our strengths, weaknesses, abilities, etc. There's also knowing our passions and what we're interested in and what we care about. And the more we go in life, hopefully we have these opportunities to really sit and think about that as well and say, okay, I'm good at this thing, but I just don't care about it, right? And so this is not the thing that I should be devoting my life to. Um, I need to find that match between something I really believe in, something that I feel like I can do successfully, something that can bring me the outcomes that I want to achieve in my life, whatever those are, relational, financial, and so on. And knowing myself in all of these ways will help me to find the point at which those things connect. And I sense, I mean, I, well, it's very clear, I think in the book, uh, when you write about clarity precedes competence in this work for love piece, um, you know, there's, there's of course the long standing kind of advice or cliched advice that people will get around, do what you love or find what you love. And, and, and then there's a little bit of a, a backlash to that that's out there that is essentially the reason you love it is because you're good at it, right? You know, so some people will go the opposite direction and say, well, what you need to do is figure out what you can do well, and then you'll learn to love it or, or that's just even the reason you love it in the first place. Um, and, you know, I sense that you're not necessarily going in that direction, but kind of talk about this work for love and, and what this clarity means that this clarity is that we really need to attain before we can really define our relative competence. Yeah, so that that uh, that clarity precedes competence is a quote that I borrowed from Becky DeFore, who's um, the late Becky DeFore, who was one of the architects of the PLC movement back in the day. She would say that all the time. Clarity precedes competence. If we want to be good at anything, we need to be exceptionally clear about what that thing is. And so that that really is just an opportunity for us to examine. Well, what are our goals? What are our goals in life? What are our goals for work? What are our goals for relationship? What are our goals financially? What are our goals for impacting the planet? And when you have that goal set and clear in front of you, and you have a clear vision of it, then you can start working towards it. And what that leads us to really, I mean, part of it is what job do you have? Where do you live? Who's your life partner? Who, who do you spend time with? All those kind of things do matter. It it allows us to be open to the cardinal. And that's, um, you know, chapter six in the book is called Behold the Cardinal. And that is um, the cardinal. And, and I actually tell this story on the on, on our website. I got a video of me telling this story. So I'm not going to go into the full story right now. It's the, the, the idea of the cardinal is the where our, our passion and our vocation merge is a cardinal will appear and tell us, hey, this is this is your thing. This is your schniz right here. <laughs> you know, your your job and your love are connecting in this spot. And sometimes we actually see a cardinal and sometimes the cardinal's metaphorical. 
um, and we can conjure the image in our own heads. It, it's an interesting dynamic, but the whole idea is, can you find that thing that you love to spend your time with? And I, I, I work with educating education audiences. I work with business audiences. I work with just people audiences. And I ask them all the time, how many of you absolutely love hundred percent of what you do? And I have yet to have a hand go up, right? Cause I don't know of anyone that's completely and totally enamored and in love with everything they do, right? A lot of people love their jobs. Almost nobody loves every element of their jobs. And even people that say, I hate my job, when pressed, can find something about their job that gives them joy, that gives them uh, great satisfaction. Perhaps it's the impact that they're having on people's lives. Perhaps, like you said, it's something that you have found that you have a particular skill or talent and you're good at it. And so there's some some confidence that's built there and some satisfaction there. And it's important for us to acknowledge what those are so that we can position ourselves at work to do more of those things, or we can position ourselves in our lives to spend more time with the people who fill our buckets and give us that joy and that satisfaction. I mean, think about your life, Ross, and the people that you spend time with, right? There are certain people that you spend more time with than others. And there are certain people that provide certain value to you and give you certain feels, right? Mm-hmm. And if you're not aware of what certain people do to you emotionally and psychologically when you're in their presence, then you're going to spend time with whoever, and that's just how it's going to be. Right. As soon as you realize which people provide something to you that fills you up and gives you more strength and more passion and more energy, you'll want to spend more time with them. Same goes for work. As soon as you find out what at work gives you more uh joy or that you're more productive or whatever it might be, you can intentionally ensure that you spend time doing that every day. So I was actually working with a uh, an employee in an office, a bank worker actually, who was not completely enamored with what she was doing, but she found that when she was able to partner with a certain uh, supervisor on any kind of project, she felt empowered. She felt good. She felt vibrant. She felt like there was life breathed into her. And so I asked her, well, how often do you work with this person? And she said, well, you know, not very often, you know, something comes up and we'll partner. I said, well, so I just challenged her. I said, could you reach out to that person every day? Just once reach out to that person every day and say, hey, can you give me a hand with this? Or, hey, do you you need help with something? And she found that just that simple act of reaching out and connecting with that person was just giving her enough of that motivation and that energy to do some of the stuff at work that's drudgery. And she found that her supervisor was more apt to reach back out to her and say, hey, I'm working on this. I could use a hand. Do you have some some free moments that you could do this? Mm-hmm. And she was finding that there's there's passion there and she doesn't love everything she's doing at work still, yet she's found those things that enable her to feel like each day is an adventure and it's productive. And she, she comes home with much more positive uh, reports about what work is like, and she has better energy and better mood when she's back with her family afterwards. So those kind of things come up in our conversations about behold the Cardinal. It's very rare that you'll find that person that loves everything they do, but you can always find something that keeps you going. Right. And that, um, you know, the story is also indicative of the ch- how challenging it can be to observe the signs that are around us, right? Once put in a position to really reflect on it and think about it and ask about it, she was able to uh, 
articulate, oh yeah, I, I really like working with this person and th that makes me feel this way. But it was, even though the evidence was there, it wasn't, it, it doesn't always come through clearly unless you're intentionally going through these reflective processes, thinking about what can you do about it. It's that match between, in a sense, you, you said, you know, your passion and your vocation. It's kind of finding that thing that's like, what is the connection between the thing that I want to do and the thing that the universe wants me to do, right? Like, yeah, how do the, yeah. And it's, it's not just one or the other, but it's kind of like autonomy doesn't mean isolation. It doesn't mean uh, being stubborn and hard-headed and saying, I'm going to do just this thing, even though all evidence is very clear that this is not what I should be doing. And, and it's hard to make those distinctions because when you hear stories of people who persevered through tough times to eventually achieve success, you can't always know, <laughs> but you have to just kind of really be reflective and thinking about, okay, is there some evidence here that I am making steps in the right direction? That even though right now I'm clearly not where I want to be, that I am doing things that are moving me closer to there, or is it the opposite? And it's saying like, this is not a good use of your time and talents. And in fact, um, it's the opposite. Or, or is it, you know, we all have more than one objective and we mm -hmm. might say, okay, I have professional and relational objectives that I can achieve. Um, but I can't do them both. I I can I can do there's I can't even think of what the book is called right now. It's a but it is a popular book right now. Somebody listening will know this. Um, but there's a core principle in it that is you can do anything, but you can't do everything. Yeah. And the point being, like you have to make those decisions around your prioritization and saying, I could become this really excellent person in this professional field, but it's going to require sacrifice in this other area of my life that I'm not willing to do. So it doesn't mean that I couldn't do that or that I failed. It means I made a decision that was what I considered on the whole to be for my best life. And also in that story, it ties to this next tenet, let your light shine, because part of this let your light shine to me is trusting that the people who are meant to pick up on that signal will pick up on it. And the people who aren't, you can't stress about them. You have to just be confident in who you are, what you're doing, what you're sharing. And I think this is where a lot of people struggle with this. It's like, I know what I'm good at, or I know the personality I want to have, or I know the way I want to make other people feel, but I'm too worried about how they're perceiving me. And it's maybe preventing me from doing that. So this other person that this woman liked working with, they were letting their light shine in some way. They were doing something that was making her say, hmm, I really like that. I really like working with that guy, right? And, but he had to be confident in doing that. And eventually the person who was supposed to come to him came to him. Um, and there probably are some other people who would say, I don't, I don't really like that guy. I don't, there's something about him. He's inauthentic. He's a fake, whatever the case may be. Um, you know, there, I'm sure there's other key learnings from this point, but when I think about what people typically struggle with and why are we not doing this more often, there's that shyness, that, that hesitation, that I don't want to, you know, 
that that uncertainty around what does it really mean? Am I bragging? Am I showing off? Am I blah, blah, blah? Are people going to think I'm faking it um, versus just saying, you know what, this is, this is what I want to be. This is how I want people to feel. And I need to just do that. And if it works, then people will, they'll respond. Yeah. And so, you know, the, uh, yeah, the big idea in that third tenet is really that there, there's something incredible and amazing about each one of us. And we've got skills and we've got strengths and, um, there it's, it's it's a really interesting collection of key learnings that kind of surfaced in this third tenet. Uh, one actually Matt came up with, uh, from an acting class from back in the day, it's called let it be this time, which is just this idea that we may go into something with a preconceived notion of what it's going to be like. And we, we also have to be free and open to the possibility that maybe it'll go differently and it might even go better than we thought. So uh, one of the people that I profile in the book, her name is Jennifer and she's a college basketball coach. And uh, she actually talks about how important it is for us to be prepared to be flexible, right? So it's kind of like, um, so my son's wedding is coming up, you know, and I don't know about you, but uh, the advice that I've always given and received about weddings is something's going to go wrong. <laughs> you know, you don't know what it's going to be, but something, something's going to go wrong. So just be ready for that. And that's what Jennifer kind of talks about is this idea of preparing to be flexible. So go in with a goal, go in with a, an idea of what you want to accomplish and prepare yourself for the possibility that it might not go that way. So have some backup plans, have some other ideas, just be prepared that what you think is how it's going to go may not be exactly the way it goes and it might actually go better. Right. So, so, I mean, it's a really interesting mindset to say, well, I, I need to be prepared. I need to know what my goal is. I need to know what steps I'm going to take to reach my goal. And the reality is very rarely does does the staircase of steps lead you directly to the goal? And it's the exact same steps that you thought it was going to be. It's not like, you know, when Indiana Jones was going to go get the, um, the skull, you know, the gold skull in the first movie, you got to step on the certain things so that the, the, the poison darts don't come out and get you. There's right. not a, a specific prescribed set of steps. That's what I'm going to say. That's going to get you to that goal. You may find that, you know, the, the path changes, you may even find that the goal slightly shifts along the way. And there, as we are prepared to be flexible, as we're going into it, knowing that I think this is how it's going to go. And I kind of want it to go this way. It might go differently and it might actually be better. Is it really, really powerful mindset to that? And it allows it, it kind of, you know, takes us right into the, what key learning number nine is embrace disequilibrium and then reframe it um, because the reality is, and pardon my French Ross, but shit happens. You know, I mean, we know this about life. It doesn't always go the way we want it to go. And what we have found is a pretty common characteristic in these seven uh, subjects that I profile in the book is that shit has happened in their lives. And they've had rough things. All of them have had just almost devastating types of things in their lives. And they somehow have emerged on the other side of those devastating things. So from homelessness to abject poverty to uh, cancer diagnosis, I mean, there's a, just a whole litany of really difficult things that, that folks have had to go through mm -hmm. and they've all arrived at the other side somehow stronger. And so the question becomes, 
well, how do they arrive at the other side of this stronger? I mean, we have a choice, right? I mean, talk about cliche advice. We have, you know, life is uh, 10% of what happens to you and 90% of how you respond to it is what mm -hmm. they say, right? Something like that. Well, it turns out that's actually true. How do we think about the things that happen in our lives? How do we position ourselves and the events in our lives? And what kind of thoughts do we have? I refer to this a lot in the book. It's called our inner monologue. It's that little voice that gives us a play-by-play -play at any given moment in our lives. And all of y'all listening to this right now, your inner monologue is going, giving you a play-by-play -play about what Ross and Pete are talking about in this podcast episode and what it means to you and how this how this matters. We all have that. And so when, when shit happens, the question is, what does our inner monologue say? And a deeper question that we have found is that, are you allowing your inner monologue to just start talking in your ear and chirping at you? Or do you take the reins of your own inner monologue and direct what message you're conveying to yourself? Because the messages that go into your head through your inner monologue are the ones that you, you absorb and believe. So if you're just allowing your inner monologue to repeat maybe what other people would say or things that you've heard that, oh my gosh, this happened to you. So now you'll never be successful and this is going to affect your life forever. And it's going to be negative and it's going to be terrible. If you're allowing that chirping in your ear, then that's what you believe. And then that's what you'll manifest. However, if you take over and you say, uh-uh, this happened to me and yeah, it's an obstacle. It's, it's, a, it's a stepping stone of my my journey, this is a disruption, and I am somehow going to learn from this, and I am somehow going to get past this, then you're much more likely to manifest that and arrive at some kind of success. Now, the piece of it that I want to make sure that I point out is because uh, folks will say, well, it's just toxic positivity talking, right? You, mean, you, can, you can't just have terrible things happen to you and say, oh, this was sunshine. Uh, the reality is when you have something hit you in life, you have to emotionally know yourself well enough to understand that emotion and feel that emotion. Because mm -hmm. the way emotions work is they don't come from your heart. I always thought they came from our hearts. Emotions stem from our brains and our brains release certain chemicals when we experience certain emotions. And we have to let those chemicals go through, our, go through their process of doing what they do. They have to run through their system. And then once they get absorbed into us, then we, then we are ready to take some kind of step to quote unquote, move on, right? That, that emotion, that experience maybe never leaves us and it leaves us changed, altered somehow, uh, not necessarily damaged and broken, changed and altered. And so we have to feel that emotion, experience that emotion. And then when we are ready, that's when we reframe it and take the reins of our inner monologue and say, okay, what can I take from this? What can I learn from this? What can I possibly gain from this? And take that step forward. And that is something that we have found these seven folks have been able, able to remarkably do. And it's a skill that is replicable. We can all learn that skill. It's not just something people are born with or not. Right. Yeah. And I really like going back to that, be prepared to be flexible point yeah. because it's, it indicates that you have a plan. You have, if everything goes according to plan, then okay but if not you know and it's it reminds me you know sometimes when people describe their their life and uh and how things didn't turn out the way they wanted or the way they hoped and they'll say well it, life took a detour and it's like mm. no a detour is temporary 
right? A detour doesn't mean that you went permanently off course. If you're driving and you, you know, you get back and route, eventually you eventually get to your destination. Now, in our lives and our goal setting, we reserve the right to change our destination and to change our objectives, but we also reserve the right to say, I just had to take a little bit of a different path to get there than what I originally thought it would look like. Right. And you know, what's kind of funny about that is the, the perfect example of that and the way to stay kind of dispassionate about that is the GPS systems that are in our cars or in our phones, right? right. When you, you miss an exit on the freeway, your phone doesn't say, hey, idiot, you missed the turnoff. You know, you should feel bad about this. Why, why don't you pay better attention? Your oh, GPS that's what the system, other passengers are for. <laughs> that's right. That's, that's why you don't drive alone. Now, the, the, your GPS system will tell you in, you know, in two miles, take the next exit. It just goes on with, okay, in order to get to your goal from where you are now, yeah, you, you missed it or you took the wrong exit or you forgot to take whatever. It just tells you, here's what you need to do now to move forward. Mm -hmm. And, and, and so many of the seven subjects that I profile in this book are able to do that. They're able to say, okay, well, I, you know, this, this jacked me up, this messed me up. Um, and now what am I going to do to get to where I want to go in my life, as opposed to just beating themselves up over it and not being able to recover from making mistakes. I mean, we all make mistakes. We're all flawed human beings. Each each of the seven people in the book has made mistakes, has done stupid things, right? That that haven't really helped, and they're able to so to somehow very intentionally say, okay, so that didn't work. That didn't help get me closer to my goals. What am I going to do now from where I am? And it's a mindset shift, and it's something that we do on purpose once we've learned it. And so, tenet four. As we're kind of winding up here, rule the day. Um, do we need to win every day? Is this about developing habits that are getting us routinely closer and closer? Um, are we balancing between what the short term looks like versus the long term? Are we also even, you know, this is about our personal goals, but do I think about, okay, the upcoming wedding? Um, you know, what does winning it mean, right? Winning uh, as far as from the from the exchange of vows forward, right? It's no longer an individual goal either. So what, you know, what are these things when you're talking about rule of day that we're having to account for to say, what does that daily success mean and look like? And what is our objective in that regard? Yeah, so the, the overarching theme of um, rule of the day, because originally I started with the old seize the day. Right. And then I thought, hang on, when you seize the day, you're basically waiting for the stars to align and for the universe to present something to you that says, hey, seize this and rule the day is more of us being proactive about it. And so what we found is that our seven subjects all tend to reach for and go find and snatch the things that they want in life. So they don't wait for the universe to provide the, the golden path that says, here, follow these steps and get to this spot and, and then do it. They say, Hey, I want this. I want this to happen. So I'm going to go make sure that this happens. And I'm going to, I am going to, I'm not just going to seize this opportunity. I'm going to dominate this opportunity. I'm going to be in charge of it. And I'm going to make sure. And each one of us has over the course of our lives, those, you know, pivotal, pivotal, pivotal moments mm -hmm. where 
you know, you know, depending on how this goes, this interview, this presentation, you know, this sales pitch, this shift at work, this uh, this date, depending on how this goes, it's gonna, you know, there's a it, there's a fork in the road that follows. So this could go really well, which leads me this way. It could go not well, which might lead me this way. And our seven subjects are acutely self-aware enough to know what what those pivotal moments are. And in those pivotal moments, they're able to conjure the right type of energy and thought and belief system to then say, all right, I'm going to rule this day. I am going to put whatever I can into making sure this goes as well as I can. So I'm going to be prepared. I'm going to be prepared to be flexible. I'm going to be positive. I'm going to understand what my goal is and what I'm trying to accomplish. All those kind of thoughts go through their heads as they hit those moments so they can you know, literally rise up. And really kind of an interesting, um, uh, an element of rise up. So one of the seven subjects that I haven't mentioned before is Brooke. And Brooke is a, um, runs a mortgage company. Um, and he talks a lot about those, those moments that we hear about when people rise up, you know, that pivotal moment, this person rises up and does something exceptional. We think, oh my gosh, that's such incredible performance in a high stressful situation. Like a basketball player that hits a game winning shot, for instance, or the, the, the presenter that just nails the presentation, you know, in front of the biggest audience of the year. Really, it's a matter of what have you done to position yourself so consistently and so regularly to have the habits of success so that this moment of rising up is, yes, it's a pivotal moment. And really, you're just relying on the skills you've already developed. And you're just applying the things that you've already done. And you've done them a hundred times. You've done them a million times. It just happens to be a bigger moment with more hinging on the outcome. You know this. So you trust what you've learned. You've trust the skills. You've trust your preparation to be able to apply it in that moment. And that's really what rising up for most of us is. It's doing what we've already been trained to do really well in that in that big moment. So we found that this this was really a, a nice way to wrap up the book as far as, uh, well, the 13th, the final key learning is put your feet on the floor. It's the only way to soar. And that really just speaks to the idea of when your alarm clock goes off, don't just sit there pushing snooze and laying in bed, wishing you didn't have to get up out of bed, fly out of bed, excited to tackle whatever the challenges are in front of you to move closer to whatever your goal is to get after it. And the hardest step is always the, the first step, which is the next step, because in any given moment, the next step is your first step. It's the first step in the rest of the journey. So it's this idea of just get after it. And once you get after it, you realize, and you've done this, right, Ross? You wake up in the morning, like, I don't want to get up. I'm warm. I'm toasty. I'm... And you, as soon as you put your feet on the floor, you're like, okay, I'm up. I'm doing it. Let's go. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an incredible uh, mindset shift that we wrapped up with. So I'm, I'm really excited to be able to share this with folks. Right. Well, when there's pivotal moments like this interview, and <laughs> we both needed to rise up for this. There you go. So, um, and so it, for our listeners, listeners, you can get the book, uh, Always Strive to Be a Better You on Amazon. You can get a print edition. You can get an ebook. Um, if listeners can only read one part of the book, what part should they check out? Huh. Um, well, I would say... Oh gosh, if you could only read one part of the book, that's a hard one. I, you know, the one piece maybe that covers everything would be the introduction. So if you get to the introduction, um, for two reasons, one, and a very self-serving reason, if you read the introduction, you're going to want to buy the book and read the rest of it. Um, two is the introduction does cover 
the big uh, the big four tenets, and it gives a quick overview of each of the 13 key learnings. Uh, and actually, the introduction is available for free on our website, striveSS.com, the Strive Success Solutions website. That's our that's our company site. That's where you can also find the video of me telling the story about the uh, the cardinal um, at www.striveSS.com. So that that might be the the one. Although there's there's so many cool stories and so many cool things in there that I had, I couldn't limit the rest of it down to one. There's no possible way I could do that. All right. Fair enough. So that's uh, striveSS.com. And is there anywhere else that people can find you, learn about what you're working on, work with you? Yeah. Well, for the educator audience, uh, you might want to go to educationhall.com. That's that's our education website. And please don't judge me by the website. Uh, It's a mess right now. But we are also working on getting that redone. So uh, in the next couple of months, it will be revamped. It'll be a lot a lot better. And I'm also on Twitter. I'm pretty active on Twitter at education at education hall. You can find me there. Excellent. So we will uh, put the links down in the show notes to um, the Amazon link to find the book and to Pete's website and uh, his social media handles. So listeners, you can check those out to learn more and please do subscribe to the authority for more in-depth author interviews like this. If you're enjoying the show, please, you know, rate and review us. It really helps other educators and, and listeners of various roles to learn about the show. And you can also visit bpodcast.network to learn about all of our other shows. Uh, Pete Hall, thanks so much for being on the authority. It is my pleasure. And like I said, at the onset, Ross, I'll talk to you about anything, anytime. Oh, we'll have to uh, write another book and then we can talk some more. <laughs> Deal. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Pete. And thank you to our listeners. We'll catch you next time. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E.